1: And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCoursey here with John Powers, who will be joining me on our beautiful trip to the Valley. Hi, John. Morning, Matt. Well, thanks for joining me. Uh, For those of you listening, we are continuing our series of In the Field podcasts. We're in San Francisco and enjoying a beautiful morning here in the Bay.
0: Glad you could make it out here we met you back in Kansas city and I'm really glad to be talking to you here about, uh, what we're doing in clean tech.
1: Yeah. So to give you a little bit of background, uh, recently the company that I'm the CEO and co-founder of full scale has partnered with launch KC. And for those of you that aren't in Kansas city, that's a local business accelerator that, uh, has a series of cohorts. And I always find that to be an interesting word, the term cohort, but, uh, Launch KC is is uh, created by the Economic Development Committee in Kansas City and works directly, in, in John's case, with Black and Beach, who work with his company Extensible Energy to try to help you guys move your effort forward. Now, before we get too far into this, John, let's talk a little bit about Extensible Energy and uh, what you guys do with solar panels.
0: Yeah, so we sit at the intersection of clean tech and building technology. So we make solar more cost-effective for commercial buildings. Let me just take a minute and explain that. You and I pay for our electric bill by the kilowatt hour, right, so at your house, you're charged by the amount of energy you use, but a commercial building is also charged what's called a demand charge, which is the most energy it uses at any one time. So one little operating error in the whole month can be up to half of your electricity bill as a commercial customer. So solar's great at saving energy. That's what it's been doing for years. But it's not good at saving one minute of usage during the month. So we flex the flexible loads of the building to match what the solar is doing, help all commercial buildings save on their energy and demand charges. That makes solar way more cost effective in the commercial sector. We're going to work to blow the commercial solar market wide open. And so to give you a little background black
1: and beach is an engineering firm um big 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 firm headquartered in kansas city Uh, i grew up in kansas city black and beach has been a staple of our local economy i grew up in the area right near where their headquarters is i'm assuming you've been there it's an impressive building it's amazing yeah and and it's just continued to grow so and i don't have the exact numbers but they have around five billion dollars in revenue and with the engineering and architecture work they do, they work with a lot of companies like yours to help integrate the technology that your company makes. So, John's business, Extensible Energy, and you know that uh, I'm always a big fan when when everyone is uh, uh, interactive here. So, John, where can we can go to extensibleenergy.com? Yep. and see more about what you do. But uh, you're part of the Clean Tech Initiative. So, there are, are there five or six other businesses that are in your inaugural class, as we could call it?
0: Yeah, the um, Ignite X Incubator or Accelerator is what uh, Black & Veatch and uh, Startup KC, is that what it's called? It's Launch KC. Launch KC. They're doing that program together, and there are seven of us in total, right? There's six other firms working in other engineering areas of, of clean tech. And we're excited to be working with Black & Veatch because our product works best with solar and uh, Black & Veatch would give us a national footprint in being able to help commercial businesses take full advantage of solar.
1: Okay, so you mentioned something earlier that a a operating error or something, what what would that be in a commercial
0: building? Yeah, so basically um, we all know that the biggest energy hog in commercial businesses is heating and cooling. Most Places you're, you're spending most of your electricity money on heating and cooling the building. And if all your um, uh, uh, cooling equipment, all your air conditioning comes on at once, at the same moment a cloud goes by, what's happened? You're suddenly putting a very large load on the grid. That shows up on your electric meter. That shows up on your electricity bill the following month. That can be very expensive compared to smarter operations synchronizing the use of the main energy-using equipment with the solar output. So that's what we do. We watch very closely and we forecast what the solar is going to do, what the whole building load is going to do, which is the basis of your electric bill, and then we match those two in real time. We run an optimization algorithm once a minute. We update it all the time. We make sure your building is operating in a way that synchronizes with the solar output. So that saves you 30% of your demand charge, which can be, as I said, up to half your bill. So that's a big deal for anybody who's already made the switch to solar. It's an even bigger deal for those who are considering a switch to solar because it really raises the return on investment of any new solar system. So when you talk about
1: an algorithm or something that Mm -hmm. is... is Predictively doing stuff, does that mean like maybe rate, lowering the temperature a couple de- degrees or, exactly. or raising the, doing something? Is that, is that?
0: Yeah. So basically we can flex any of the flexible loads in the building and that could be a battery or it could be electric vehicles behind the meter or anything where the exact timing of the energy use doesn't matter. But most of the time it's the compressors in a cooling system. So let's say we forecast that in a couple of hours, you're gonna hit a new peak for the month. Either it's because clouds are gonna come by or some other equipment will turn on, but we see it coming. So we might indeed pre-cool the building by a couple of degrees. Nobody notices, but it's a lot of energy. And then a couple hours later when the clouds actually show up, we might let the load go up. I'm sorry, we might let the temperature go up a couple of degrees. And that just wipes out what would have been a giant spike in your usage pattern. So that saves a bunch of money. Very simple change to building operations. Uh, our equipment is basically a one-day installation behind the meter, and you know any solar installer can do it. Certainly, Black and Veatch could do it, and that that will be uh, you know a big savings to anybody who's considering a solar installation.
1: Yeah, I've recently become a
0: lot. More
1: informed about the whole, like this whole process. So one of our uh, previous guests was Steve fouch who owns an arena mm-hmm. in Kansas City. And you know, as yep. I've gotten to know Steve and 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 become familiar with the building, you know, they have a similar problem. So they'll all of a sudden have an event, and there might be four thousand people in the building, yep. and that's going to raise the temperature significantly. And M- you can just like. Then at the event, say, "Oh, you know what? Maybe we'll turn this down a couple degrees, and people will be cooler." Like, I didn't even realize that but they have to like pre-cool the building. That's right. I mean, way in advance. Like, and and I find that to be, I, I found that to be really interesting. And I didn't really give it as much consideration as I should have. To you know, like when you're heating or cooling in an arena, yeah, how much power that actually that takes. So. What's a, what's a good target goal for the amount of money, or is it more like percentage points? It's more
0: you know? percentage. We're talking about 30% of the demand charge. And, you know, that that's a major change in the economics of a solar system, which normally saves 0% of the demand charge. Sure. So um, I'll give an example of one of the customers we've worked with in California, which is a, a It's no arena, but it's a large church in Bakersfield in the Central Valley where it gets very hot. And they have a Wednesday evening service. So very similar to the story you just told, we have to pre-cool that place before they come into the building. Now they have no sophisticated energy management system at all. We put in, again, in one day, um, some simple wireless thermostats that we can control remotely through the cloud. And again, we were able to shave just over 30% of their demand charge, which is a huge deal for a church that's, you know, financially constrained. They don't have a lot of of, um, O&M budget to do this kind of work. So uh, just like the arena, if you're smarter about how you anticipate the loads and forecast the loads, you do a much better job of saving a lot of money for your customers.
1: So we're here in San Francisco and, you know, the we're, we're right here on Folsom Street, pretty close to downtown, getting ready to do some interesting things here. You know, San Francisco is one of the older cities uh, in the in the states and so is Kansas City. You know, Kansas City was kind of, you know, your last stop before your way out here to, to maybe uh, win or lose at the gold rush. So do you have challenges like, they're, OK, so they're building and they're literally building a building next door to where we're at right now. And, you know, we're in a, uh, you know, kind of a penthouse of a, you know, condo building or whatever. Now, does the age of the building we're in right now doesn't even have heating or cooling, right? Like that was one of the things when we reserved it, this is, you know, an Airbnb. And um, it said pretty clearly, said there's no air conditioning, there's no there's no, and now part of that's the climate here. They're just like, hey, you can just open the windows, you'd be all right. But right. does the age of some of the buildings that are around, does that have, does that change the approach that you have to take?
0: So certainly there can be some challenges in older buildings. Um, this is a pretty unique space that we're in here now. Most of the buildings we would target would have heating or cooling. Sure. Um, but again, most of the country isn't San Francisco in terms of climate. Right. So even... 20 miles from here where I live, we get nice hot summers and cool winters and there's plenty of heating and cooling. So um, we um, we have targeted small to medium commercial buildings where heating and cooling is a big load, where demand charges are high. And that's a huge swath of the country and that's plenty to keep us interested for the next couple of years. Yeah,
1: sure. So with extensible energy and once again, go to extensible, extensibleenergy.com dot to check out more about what John's business does. Now, how did how did you get into this? Like, what's the backstory behind Extensible? And and I mean, you know, here we are. You're involved in Black and Beach, one of the bigger you know engineering firms in the world. And you know, what brought you to this?
0: Yeah. So I've been an energy nerd all my life. Um, I've worked in both uh, software startups and in consulting in the energy field for a long time. I actually led another startup called Energy Interactive, which was in a similar field, but it basically showed uh, commercial and industrial customers how they were using energy. And that's kind of interesting. Um, that country was sold on that company was sold on favorable terms to ABB. We had a successful exit, you know, raised some venture money, got the exit. That was great. But that company really just showed you yesterday you made a mistake. That's okay. sort of the the lesson you could learn from that software was, well, if I'm really paying attention, maybe I won't do that again in the future. Our new software is able to say, you're going to make a mistake in an hour, but don't worry, we fixed it already. And that's a much more uh, powerful value proposition for the end customer. But as I say, I've been in energy for a long time, and we're a pretty uh, clean tech, purpose driven business. We want to see the, uh, a clean world with plenty of solar energy, and we think we can do our part to open up the solar market in commercial businesses.
1: So with extensible energy and now I'm assuming you know this is all built on a software platform uh-huh. somewhere. What kind of technology yeah. are you using to build this? Is it I you mean know, are there machine learning elements that are in there? Like what and what you know how do you go about solving some of these issues? Cause obviously you're being proactive, not reactive.
0: Yeah, if I was good uh, you go on a tech crunch. If I was a good TechCrunch startup, I would emphasize the artificial intelligence, IoT, blah, blah, that we've got going. We've got all of that. But the the point is that we're building cloud-based software that will scale to millions of sites. And the algorithms we use, of course, include machine learning. We look back over the last couple of years before we go into a building at their usage history, and we can learn a lot from that and we can use that machine learning for a combination of both forecasting and optimization but the you know the the core of this is being able to send smart control signals to a building in essentially real time and that requires a little IoT gateway it's a little industrial PC with our sure. own linux image on it that speaks all the different protocols we need to talk to uh, devices in the building, so this is software in the cloud that affects the physical world, so we have to get that signal into the building and change the set points on thermostats or change any of the other flexible loads in the building that 's really where the the sauce is is the
1: hardware that you 're using you mentioned something that 's you know in between you know the, the basically the outlet and the solar panel or is this is this hardware that you 've developed or are these other is this existing third party
0: no, the beauty of this is that you know there's been a lot of advances in uh, uh, basically IoT and cheaper and more ubiquitous networks, cheaper and more ubiquitous computing power. So we're riding on top of all of that. We use very little hardware at all. It's plain off the shelf hardware, and the the brains are up in the cloud running on AWS. Uh, you know as you would expect.
1: Sure. It was, uh, it was one of our former guests, Davion Ross, the founder of Shot Tracker. They do basketball mm-hmm. technology. Mm-hmm. He, he, he's he's uh, got one of my favorite quotes, Har- Matt, hardware. They call it hardware for a reason because right. it's just challenging to deal with. And yeah. um, I think it's pretty impressive the kind of, um, you know, you have all these different types of like Arduino is a good example. Oh, yeah. And this is like, you yeah. know, and for those of you that aren't yeah. familiar with it, it's just basically a kit. Yep. and it's kind of like the it's kind of like raspberry Pi or yep. something like that that Very much so. uh, people that want to have some kind of you know an Arduino could be used to basically like be like a servo like you could turn it and it might flip a switch for you or do something but I think it's pretty pretty interesting that the kind of things out there that businesses can utilize and leverage to develop any type of, of solution so with all right so obviously we're as we mentioned we're here live in San Francisco, and this is a dramatically different market to run and operate a business in than Kansas City. Now, you mentioned you're going to Kansas City. Is that later today?
0: Yeah, I'm flying to Kansas City this afternoon to uh, continue our participation in that Ignite X Accelerator. So
1: when, you know, I think that uh, I mentioned before we started recording that a lot of people in Kansas City are, are fascinated with the difference between what we call the Silicon Prairie and Silicon Valley. And some of the big things that stand out. I mean, obviously, the cost of operating. So we're we're here in a one thousand square foot uh, uh, condo, basically. And I looked it up on Zillow. It, it, I could buy this place for one point two million dollars. A bargain. Yeah, every, it's a thousand square feet. I mean, it's not a bad place, but it, it's a it's a pretty strong reflection of what you know, operating costs. Right. So what are some of the challenges you find some of these things challenging operating here? And you, you said you're like 20 miles away. So maybe, yeah. you're, maybe you're not. in the-
0: Oh, no, we're, we're, of course, challenged by access to really great talent at reasonable prices. Sure. It's very challenging to put together uh, a great engineering team and a great you know company where costs are so high i'm i'm really proud of the team we've put together they're doing a phenomenal job but um you know clean tech is kind of a uh still a dirty word with a lot of investors around here why, tech why tech well i mean there's been a lot of uh uh fun exit in tech tech world. And okay. there's only been a handful in the clean tech world so far. So uh, it's very challenging to run a clean tech business when you're competing with uh, uh, Facebooks and Googles and such for local talent. So one of the things I do is I work with one of the uh, local um, seed funds and accelerators, which is called Powerhouse right over in Oakland. And we're always trying to persuade uh, some of the uh, talent in tech to apply themselves to the world-changing problems that we face in clean tech. So that so far has been successful and we've got a good team together. The core team is in place, and um, you know, but that's always, always a challenge to really attract great talent in this, in this very competitive labor market. And let's
1: expand on that just a little bit. So you mentioned, you know, looking for people that want to, you know, change the world. Yeah. Is that the angle that you have to take? Like for say, sure. Saying, hey, so you can go help people post more pictures on Facebook. And that's not going to change the world. Or you can come help us solve a, a bigger, broader problem. I and mean, is that? Is yeah, that I mean, the that's, selling point?
0: that's more than an angle. That's the truth. I mean, sure. there there's a lot of imminent problems that clean tech is trying to help with and if you really think there's an imminent problem in being able to post and recognize pictures of cats well then apply yourself to that but we have is able- that enough
1: though to get i mean i'm just curious like is that enough to get cuz i mean the almighty dollar tends to rule. Yeah. Um, and and i i found that with you know so we employ 175 people at the right. moment at full scale right. uh, most of which are developers you know 80% are right. developers and the thing that we found is that our developers are just as interested in being involved in something that's challenging and engaging. It's not, We're not necessarily saying like, hey, you know, because our our clients differ in what they do, but we, we are very selective in who we do business with because we know our, our staff, who's largely senior, doesn't want to work on, we'll just say like remedial type projects. You know, They don't want to just build a WordPress site Right. A thousand times, right. and and you know, make simple changes. They want to work on complex software as a service type products that challenge, it. and they're just as, they seem just as 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 concerned about that as they are about how much are you going to pay me.
0: I'd say that's true. I think if and we also employ more senior people than junior for sure, and uh, this is we're working on hard problems. There's some hard math. There's some subtleties in both the engineering and the economics that make it really not for the faint of heart to work on this stuff. So yeah, anybody who loves a challenge can find it in our company and in other companies in clean tech that helps as well as the, you know, the more purpose driven uh wanting to clean up the world. So uh so far so good. Um and we're trying to get that message out and we work with Powerhouse on their Uh, amazing SunCode hackathon every year to bring more talent into the field. Um, And there's uh, I think the economics are shifting. I think more people are recognizing that more resources need to be put into solar and other fields in clean tech. So I think the economics are tipping our way. It's just not all the way there yet.
1: So once again, if you want to check out what John and his company do, you can go to extensibleenergy.com. While you're on the internet, make sure to stop by and check us out at, at Start a Puzzle Podcast on Instagram. You'll uh we'll post some pictures of our of our lovely recording studio that we've built today. And for those of you hanging in there, we our, our audio quality will be a little different. Field recording is a little different than our beautiful recording studio. Um, Another thing you might get a a kick out of when we post our uh, pictures today is our view out of our window. If we look to our right here, we are about one foot away from a wall. Um, So our beautiful uh, uh, 20 foot tall windows have a nice view of a a black building next to us. Now, that's kind of a reflection of the times. Uh, It appears as if they may have torn the building down next door and then built a new one.
0: There's a lot of that going around here.
1: So once again, if you want to get a deal on a new 1,000 square foot penthouse uh, on Folsom Street in uh, San Francisco, uh, $1.2 million will get it done for you. So, you know, and back to the, you know, like you look at at Silicon Valley, Silicon Prairie. So... You know, now that had you been to Kansas City before, prior
0: to, I, I have, but not for many years. And it's changed a lot since I was there, maybe in 2000 or so, 2001. Um, it's, what, what were you doing back then? So I was working as a consultant for utilities. Okay. And um, so that, uh, yeah, that was, uh, you know, Kansas City was great then too, but it has definitely. Grown up downtown in particular yeah. is booming compared to how yeah. it was uh, 20 years ago or a little less yeah
1: 20 years ago downtown I'm quite honestly was kind of an embarrassment um yeah gonna love the field recording <laughs> that's our coffee pot hey,
0: at it's least, good coffee at
1: least we didn't grind <laughs> coffee during the show um so uh you know you talk about the changes in the market and you know at kansas city we don't really uh we're not trying to be San Francisco. I think we're the, we're the 25th biggest market. One of the things that I'm really seeing, and you know, this isn't an ad for any town USA, but I'm seeing at monthly, I I seem to see a new announcement about a company that is moving from the East or the West coast. And they're, they may not be fully relocating to a company like Kansas city, but they are, they're establishing presence in Midwest markets, For a lot of reasons and it seems to all be about operating costs now um do you do you sense any vibe related to that with the other businesses that are out here because every time i talk to someone from either from boston new york any of these markets san francisco any really anywhere in california and you know they ask they come they how much does your office cost and you tell them they're like wait what what you're (laughs) and you know to me it seems like you know with the the as global with globalization as as present as it is you know, we talk to people in the philippines every day for free right through things like zoom and sure. like high definition and it's crystal clear uh, do you think that you'll see more retreat from the coasts into markets like kansas city and other places where you can find affordable talents or reasonable office space?
0: I think there's a, a question of stage there. Where we are now with our company, we want everybody together sure. working in the same room on the same thing, so we're all on the same page. But yes, I mean, I talked to the Launch KC folks and Black & Beach about the possibility of expanding over time uh, in Kansas City, um, for example, we will eventually need a customer support function that isn't just me and my CTO. Uh, right. And when we do that, um, of course, cost is a function. Time zone is a function. The West Coast is the worst place in the country to have a U.S.-based customer support function because it's always yep. four in the morning. So uh, we, we would look at Casey for that. Um, I'm going to need a partner management function. And if all goes well with Black & Veatch, why not be near the biggest partner? Uh, So there's lots of things I can see expanding into in Kansas City. Um, I work with a couple of other startups that are based in Austin, as you mentioned, the sort of uh, Silicon Prairie between Austin and Kansas City. Um, And so, yeah, we would definitely look at it. And I've seen a lot of... Um, later stage startups that start to diversify away from the West Coast. I'm not so familiar with what's going on back East, but the um, definitely there's, there's, uh, there's something in the water here that makes people start their own companies, but there's also something in the uh, rent that makes people want to move a part of the function elsewhere. Well, so much of what you're talking about is, I don't
1: think it's necessarily in the water. I think it's in the banks. Mm-hmm. Um you know it's pretty pretty well known that 80% of all venture capital is distributed between well when we say the valley I mean we're technically in San Francisco it's funny cuz you know Mount, Palo Alto and Mountain View are closer to San Jose than they are to That's right. But you know San Jose and San Francisco have basically kind of grown into one mega market yep as we could say and uh um you know that it's so that area, Boston and New York at 80% of all venture capital, yep. but that's because there you, there's an environment that has been fostered here around innovation, you know, like, yep. and it's and it's easier for someone to write a big check when they, A, know who you are. So it's easier to be nut, but maybe you're a small fish in a big pond here. So there's a lot of different challenges as you go around that. I know one of the hot topics in Kansas City is that they, they sometimes use the term brain drain and- you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a big believer that businesses go wherever they need to go to find the resources they need to be successful. And, and if those resources exist here, then businesses will continue to come here. Same with like New York, Boston. You know, now we mentioned Austin earlier. Austin has um, basically been Californicated in a lot of ways, you know, with, uh, it's just, it's just as expensive to be in Austin now as it is to be here.
0: Well, my my Austin friends would take issue with both of those statements. (laughs) It's it's more expensive than some other places in Texas, but it's not as expensive as this uh, uh, fine penthouse here. It is getting there in
1: some regards. Now, Austin's, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time in Austin growing up. I have family that's from Texas and uh, my wife and i owned our our first business in indianapolis now i'm from kansas city and that's where we moved back but right we were considering moving to austin that was like our b option and just decided you know kansas city was a lot more familiar but sure you know some of the things have real and and i love it i think austin's a cool town it's it's funny because it's actually very comparable to kansas city mm-hmm. and the in the attitude the 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 things that you'll find there and stuff like that yep. so It'll be kind of interesting that, you know, Denver is another example. Uh, it's, it's getting real. It's expensive to operate in Denver. And uh, you talk about a talent shortage of uh, people like there. That's one of the most Denver and Austin, along with where we're at right now are some of the most pronounced quote talent shortages when it comes to finding engineers. Now, in, re- in regards to that, do you think that that's something that we'll close the gap
0: on? So I think that the, the talent shortage in software engineering, I think, is global. I think we still have a long way to go to get uh, enough folks working in that field. But I think that, as you said earlier, uh, the exact location is less important now than it than it used to be. We can work um, interactively, remotely more easily, especially at a later stage when you have things planned out. On, in a matter of uh, months and years instead of hours and days, so I think that um, local talent shortages are not going to be the driver, um, you know, at scale. When when you get to be bigger, uh, when you're when you're our size, I think it's still just there's compelling advantages to having everybody together. Yeah, no yeah. doubt. I mean, we talked to you
1: know with what we do at full scale, and I think sometimes. People are uh, initially misunderstand what we do. Right. You know, we build around your local team. That's right. And we we won't even accept you as a client if you don't have a local team. Right. Uh, why? Because you're right. There is something about having, we'll just say like that local brain trust or, you know, being able to, um, there is something more effective about being in the same room. Mm-hmm. Now, you, if you can build a team of remote developers that are still in the same room you can still capitalize on some of that but but we like to see a local tech lead around and and you know the the thing that's really interesting and as a hot topic and sometimes you know people get cranky with me when I say this but it's the reality is you know we're trying to push a bunch of people through stem type programs and the the issue that ha- occurs then is now we just have a bunch of entry-level people that have entered the marketplace that's and, right and That's for sure. We've even seen one of our compel, uh, competitors at full scale just release like 300 quote mid level developers because they're a lot of companies they're just not ready. Right. So you know it's 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 also uh, going to be interesting with with engineering talent to see if we've created a different kind of bottleneck. Um, and you know the, the the hard part with the senior talent is you know there's only so many people in this bucket. And like this is a great example. So all the people here in, in in you know this section of California are pulling people out of this same bucket. That's you can't right. Make more senior senior engineers it
0: takes a long time. Yeah, yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> They're
1: senior for a reason. That's right. You know, you get to that what you know five or ten thousand hours that they say makes you an expert or a master at something, and right. you can't accelerate that. Right. So um, you know, as long as pe- now, sure, more people enter that that bucket every year but the the growth and you know the the question is why is that so why is that senior level of talent so important well as years and years and years go by software platforms become deeper they become broader they become wider they become more complex and they have like basically like a series of drawstrings through them if you want to picture it on a rudimentary level and if you pull the wrong string the whole sweater comes unraveled in some cases and Yep. And, and, you know, like if, we, if you've been on in your, if you've had a software platform and you've seen someone pull that string and it starts to look like it's coming unraveled, it's scary. Yep, And it also is very disruptive. Yep. Um, you know, you, you sometimes the best clients and customers and users are the ones you never hear from. Sure. Of course. <laughs> you, you will hear from them the day it starts coming unraveled a little bit. So, yep. um, all right. So. And first off, uh, thank you for coming and joining us here in our, in our. this is the most expensive recording studio that we've really stepped up our game here. I, I don't think we'll make the purchase of, of this as as we'll try. Maybe if we had a better view of the black building next to us. So
0: yeah, uh, maybe so. I mean, I uh, <laughs> I really appreciate the opportunity to come down here and to uh, talk with you. I think that the, um, the message here is that the, the clean tech world is is growing fast. I think and, it's cool. I love it. Yeah, and I, I I'm super happy to uh, be engaged with uh, Launch KC and with Black and Beach and with you all. And we hope we can uh, uh, show you what we can do. So as we kind of round this out,
1: if, if for those of that are listening, and when it comes to clean tech and climate change and all these different things. I think it's pretty clear that there's not a silver bullet solution that just solves all of it. So there's all these, you know, slices of the pie that need to solve a whole bunch of different things. Now, you mentioned earlier that clean tech hasn't been the sexiest investment right. for B.C., um, two-part th- two question here. One, what needs to occur to change that? And then into that, what is your advice for someone that want, that has a clean tech idea or a solution? And how do they go about bringing that to market in a way that
0: matters? So like any, I'll take the second question first. Like any uh, uh, startup with an idea, you need more than an idea. So you need a team and you need a market and then you need last a technology and product, right? Team come with any early early stage product or startup. It's team first, big market that you're going after, and then a great new innovative technology to go after it with. So uh, don't don't let the idea that clean tech is inherently different change that because that never changes across startups. Um, but beyond that, um, you know, be fearless, just come out and do it because as long as you have those three pieces, then you have as good a shot as anybody to succeed. Um, and I would say reach out for support and in the Bay area, I would say powerhouse in LA, I would say Lacey, which is another clean tech incubator back East. There's Greentown labs. There's plenty of like-minded people who can support you as you get ready to launch um, and then what was your, the first part of the question? What has those to change for the VCs yeah, to, yeah. to wise up about this? I think we have to demonstrate some success. I mean, uh, it's a show me state and a show me industry, right? So if we can demonstrate that there are billion dollar companies that can be formed in clean tech, the money's going to follow. And I think that the uh, market is mature enough to generate many of those from this point forward. So our, our approach is to, you know, you're right. There's no one silver bullet to clean up the world, right? What a surprise. So we're going to focus on commercial solar because that area of um, the industry hasn't been pulling its own weight. Residential solar's done great. Utility scale solar's done even better. Commercial is always a bit behind. We're trying to fix that. So if we can catch up, uh, that would make a big dent in the problem. But everybody's got to find their own dent, and that one's ours.
1: You know, if you can find a solution that helps people sell more or spend less, yep, you're you're and, and you're on to something. If That's you can right. find something that helps them do both, right, then you're really on to something. Um, right. Now, I, I'm not. I mean, in some regards, now you can potentially help. You might not be helping the 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 commercial user sell more. But you might be helping your partner sell more. It's easier for an architecture firm or someone like that. So it's not always about the, the same exact party selling more and spending less at the same right. time. When you like, for example, your partnership with Black and Beach, it's easy for them to say, "Hey, you know these these are firms that are that are oftentimes bidding on designs. They That's haven't right. even won it, and they've put a significant amount of work into it. And they're saying, you know, they're able to say, you know, here is a solution that not only helps, it's clean." It's going to help you save money all the way down the line. So, you know, in order to help your partner, your potential partner at Black & Beach, you can help them sell more by helping their end users spend less. You, so. you,
0: you nailed it. That's exactly what we're about, is we help the end customer save money. And we help our partners, who are solar developers, have more competitive bids when they present their bid to their customers. So we're helping... Uh, partners in Cal- Northern and Southern California and Colorado do that today. We're very hopeful to be working with Black & Beach nationwide. We think there's a lot of different ways this can be brought to market.
1: Well, John, thank you very much for coming in. Uh, once again, go to Extensible Energy. We'll have some links in the show notes and stuff like that. Uh, make sure to come check out our beautiful recording studio for the day by visiting at Startup Hustle Podcast. We'll put all kinds of good links and info about extensible energy. So John, once again, thanks for coming in.
0: Thank you, Matt. See y'all next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Startup Hustle with Matt DeCorsi and Matt Watson. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit StartupHustle.xyz. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on Startup Hustle.